From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 191 of the Killing It podcast this is carl joined today as always by dave and ryan and uh we are we we are doing these shows back to back even though it doesn't seem like it to everybody else it's all you listeners is spaced out but we ended up doing them much closer than we normally do the magic of multimedia production well chance i'm gonna ask one for for the thinking caps What's the most profound experience you've ever had with a stranger? Well, so I'm going to go back to just before the pandemic, uh, fall of 2019. I was vacationing with some friends in Australia and took this little bus tour around this remote side of the national park on an island off of Brisbane. And the bus driver stopped and said, this turtle is in the wrong place. Who wants to help me put this turtle back in the ocean? <laughs> and, you know, I'm talking about a turtle that's four feet in diameter. And so a bunch of people got off the bus and I think there were three of us or four of us on each side of the turtle. <laughs> we picked it up and carried it across the beach. And uh, once once our feet was were, were wet, we thought, okay, well, I think that the turtle can swim from here. And we put the turtle down and it made its way into the ocean. And I don't know if it was in distress or not, but bus driver asked for it and it was a cool experience and I will probably never do that again. <laughs> See, and, and I will say, almost always these profound stranger experiences are attached to travel, which is one of the reasons why I enjoy doing that stuff so much. Uh, mine, I will say, and it, it, this is going to sound like a humble brag, but it's not intended that way. Uh, the first time I found myself on the Great Wall of China, I'm total stranger, no language skills whatsoever. I cannot believe that little old me is on the like one of the most recognizable wonders of the world. I, I was I was beside myself, and I actually came across a couple that was there on their honeymoon, and they were discussing. Uh, amongst themselves, they needed somebody to take a picture of them. And I was like, hey, I'm totally happy to do that. Uh, they were from a different state, a different part of China. And they were kind of discussing the state of their culture and the the challenges for young married couples and, and the economy and everything. I, I will tell you, I think I learned more in a 15-minute conversation through language barriers and whatever I went there with one perception. I came away with a completely different understanding of the people and their role in their culture and how it compares to what we all hear on the news about uh, the government and such over there. It, it was transformative and it was literally completely accidental. And it was one of those things that I came back and said, this is why we get on airplanes and go around the world. Because not only are there work gigs over there, but the world is over there, so we should probably go and get to know. It's funny because I'm I'm I have lots of little things, but like when you want to draw the line of profound, like it's kind of hard to hard to do that. I've had lots of mo little moments 
sitting and talking with strangers and just learning something about them. And and then you kind of like you know, get in my own head. It's like, well, if I'm with Sharon, does that count? Like, and so, so I'm actually going to sort of say like one of the things that, that, that I jump out and, and again, it's travel related. Uh, we had the opportunity. I was doing some business abroad. We were in South Africa and we did a, we did a safari um, and got a chance to see a cheetah like right after a kill and the, the whole, and, and it was just like six of us, right? It was a small little group, Sharon and I, and two other couples, uh, get, got to see this moment in nature. Uh, and, and it was one of those things where it's just like, wow, okay. You know, we talk about our lives and stuff like that, but there's nature, like there's nature going, like being nature, <laughs> right? Like doing the whole thing. Uh, and it's really like you, you, you just are in the moment and you're focused on it. And, and that was with just a small group of, of, uh, of strangers. And I think that's the one that jumps to mind for me. Yep. Well, do you like getting paid? Then make it easy for your customers with Gazinta Payments. Do you teach your customers not to click on links from strange domains like mymsp.monkeypayments.com or slowbooks.com? Gazinta Payments uses your branding and domain name. No redirects, no confusion. Gazinta Mobius is trusted by over a thousand MSPs to sync financial data. Their new product, Gazinta Payments, is built with the same care and empathy to make the payment process easy for your customers. Gazinta is a family-owned business dedicated to making software suck less every day. Go to gozynta.com slash payments to learn more or get started. So our first topic today is all good news. And, you know, we, we talk about electronic vehicles a lot. And, you know, some people think it's a bit cynical to say, look, we don't have enough electricity in the world. Recently, the story has become... There, there is plenty of lithium. It's just not where we can get to it. It's expensive to mine, and a lot of it's in China, to be honest. So uh, what, what do we do about that? And the story from Axios is all about how uh, the, the lithium that we need, the lithium-ion uh, batteries, do, the components don't decay, which means that it's much easier to recycle and to create new sources of lithium from existing batteries. So. Uh, this is all good news. It means that uh, we, we have a truly renewable resource in our lithium batteries. And my guess is that the next step is going to be that the manufacturers are going to manufacture them in a way where it's easier to extract the lithium after the battery's been used. And so uh, I, I think this is good news all around. And, you know, we've, we've been talking for three years now about the, the coming electronic world, and it seems to get put off again and again and again for one reason or another, but it is gradually coming. And so uh, I'm not sure there's any downside to this story. Well, it exposes some, some issues, though, that I, I'm going to have to sort of rant and do a little bit of rant on this is like, like. We, we rushed into lithium batteries, which, by the way, thumbs up, right? Like, like, the, like them. But, man, there's so much about them right now that is a, a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I just, we just did some travel. I have to pack specifically so devices with lithium batteries go into my carry-ons, right? Where in some cases, like, I wish I could just take out the battery. Like, I just want the battery. I don't want to carry all this gear. I want to check the gear. But I don't want it, but I can't because some of them are non-removable and they're all different, you know, every different device has a different size and different style. And by the way, heaven forbid you try and get rid of a device that has a battery in it. This is a whole thing. 
So, you know, I, w I would say, like, for me, there, I'm going to actually sort of shine a light and say there has got to be a market opportunity in being smarter about the way these devices are used. I get there's certain circumstances where small and integrated makes sense. I like my phone, right? But there are other cases where I want this to be a whole lot more flexible because it's problematic when it's not. And there is a certain value, by the way, in those AA batteries always being standard. And I can always get them and I can always put them in and I can always swap them out. That is a thing that I think that the market needs to address. Well, Dave, I think you might get that sooner than you suspect, because if you're you're aware of the recent ruling in Europe that says standardization for charging cables and adapters and Apple has finally uh, relented and said, OK, fine, we're going to put a USB-C and not a proprietary plug in all of our devices. I think that's a step in the right direction. And we have been told that next on the line is battery interface and configuration as we standardize more and more of the electric world. The thing I think about this story that is most fascinating is if you think about it from the average techie's point of view, we are intimately familiar with the failure rate of batteries in our devices. In fact, there's an entire segment of our industry around backup power and batteries that are designed to not only keep data centers online when power goes out, but to provide seamless failover in a lot of the things that we do. Every one of us, I think, has been convinced. We, we've had the experience, right? Have you guys recently run the battery health check on the battery in your cell phone? It's not 100%. It doesn't charge to 90%. It maybe goes to 80% and 50% and whatever. And so we're all convinced batteries burn out except it's not the precious metals or the rare earth metals that are located inside of that, which is quite frankly, as you said, Carl, that's the expensive part. That's what we have to dig up massive mountains in order to get to. It's the componentry, it's the cathode diode, all of the system and packaging around those rare earth metals. The fact that the raw material is recyclable and does not lose any performance capacity that ought to be a great big bright light that shines on the industry and makes us all go, oh, wait a minute. Now I think about batteries differently, not just, and again, from a resident battery nerd over here. <laughs> this is not just, I need a bigger one that lasts longer. This is how do I make those things not just poisonous landfill material, but how do I recapture and reuse the raw earth materials? There's a massive business opportunity to be found here couple of final notes before we move to another topic. And one is that this is kind of an interim stage, because if it's true that sodium ion and other kind of batteries are going to surpass the performance and stability of lithium ion, then we're in an interim period and we just have to make the best of it. Second thing is, in a perfect world, it'd be great if the lithium piece was a standardized component that you could take out and then just replace the electronics in the battery. Uh, well, I don't think I'm gonna live some weird competitive forces, I'm sure, will get in the way. <laughs> yeah, 
again, there's more money in treating the common cold than there is in curing the common cold. So we will move on to our second topic here, guys. Um, uh, in the world of cybersecurity, we all have been spending, you, I, and everybody in this business, we spent a career trying to convince our customers to take us seriously and to pay attention to cyber threat and ransomware and all of these other things, right? The sky is falling and we are chicken little and we've been out there trying to convince our customers more or less effectively that they should actually pay attention. Guess what? They're listening and now they're looking for a solution. Uh, I'm going to point to an article in the show notes from our friends over at MSSP Alert. They're featuring a study that was published by the guys over at Open Text, a Canadian information management specialist, who they've been surveying and what they have found is that when you talk to decision makers in SMB organizations, nine out of 10 of them fear an impending ransomware attack. Not, not some, not one day. Nine out of 10 fear a pending ransomware attack. Guys, what do you think this says about the state of cybersecurity? It's pretty god awful. I mean, like, well, this is, this is where, like, I mean, I'm, you know, I've done some rants on this one and I'll just try and not say there's always the same thing on this is like, look, the problem is so incredibly overwhelming that, uh, you know, everyone tries the, to, to, to sort of think about the, 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 the numbers, you know, and, and talk about the criminals. And I want to talk about that bit, but I don't have criminals beating on my door every few milliseconds trying to get in, in an automated way. And the moment I crack the door slightly with a mistake of any kind, they're in and I'm done. Like that, that's not, it's such an overwhelming problem uh, that when it's easier at a large company, when you actually get to some level of scale and you can put resources against security where it's a specific line item and you're thinking about it at that scale, because you've got enough resources to do it. When you're a small company, you know, at best, if you're not necessarily driven purely by technology as an org, you're spending what? seven, 10, 12% of revenue, maybe a top on all technology of all kinds. And as I've sort of said on in editorials that I put out like it, that's not making you money, right? Anytime I spend money on security, I'm not making money with that money. I like with that spend, I could go spend money on tech that drives top line revenue, more membership, more sales, whatever that is, more makes my people better. Those are good skills. Like, but if I spend money on security, I'm not getting that money back. More importantly, I'm probably slowing my people down, right? Because always security makes things harder to do business, not faster. So like, and in a small amount, it's really difficult to get to scale to a level of service that's good. And I, you know, and I would, and I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit on the industry itself. And like, we're not making basic stuff secure in any way by default. You know, so many of the core technologies are just not at all secure. Like they're just not at all. They're not identity based. They're not secure. You know, they, they don't do verifications. There's just nothing to them. Yet they're core to running the business. That's part of the problem. So I was down in Australia uh, last month and saw a presentation where there were two slides back to back that made this exact point, right? what people expect is gonna happen in ransomware and what they're doing in terms of spending to, to deal with that. The interesting thing that was just a glaring piece of this is that 
this was two different groups, the group that makes the decisions about the security and the group that makes the decision about money. And we always have to remember in most industries, in most, in most any topic in life, these things are discussed separately, right? I mean, even in Congress or your state legislature or whatever, uh, they have a budget discussion and that's separate from the policy discussion. They're like literally happen six months apart on uh, with different committees, right? Uh, the same thing is true in business. And so I would just encourage IT professionals to have some kind of plan and have never ending conversations with your clients. Have those quarterly business reviews or roadmap meetings or whatever you call them, but just make sure that there's this, always this discussion because the people that you're dealing with can't give you all the money you want. Like, right, a, a company that makes $1.5 million a year does not have $1.4 million a year to spend on security. So, you know, they, they can never give you what they need to be truly secure. Uh, so you have to have these conversations and help them to make good decisions about technology. And in, in some ways it's like, we know we can't win this one. What we can do is the best we can do. And so you have to have those discussions as well as all the side elements with regard to liability, insurance, preparation, what are the basics, what can you afford? Let's make sure that we do what we can afford. And to Dave's point, Let's have somebody whose entire job is to go around and take the keys out of the ignition. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, some security by default would be a really good thing if somebody could get on that. Um, uh, here, here's where I think that the numbers tell a very alarming story, and hopefully it translates to a behavior change at the basic human behavior level for us as cybersecurity providers, right? Nine out of 10 SMB decision makers say, I'm freaked out and afraid that I'm about to have a ransomware attack right now. Not not now, but right now, right? Right now. Like these guys are aware they are they are they know it's out there. They know it's coming for them. They know that they are now targets. And yet, the very same study points out that more than 57% of SMB IT decision makers indicate that due to questionable economic conditions, recession, yada, yada, uncertainty out there in the marketplace, uh, that they anticipate that their overall IT budget, not just cybersecurity, overall IT budget will go down in 2023. Okay, so here's the, here's the lesson that we need to learn. They have heard our fear message. They know that ransomware is out there. They get it. They understand that it's secure. That, I mean, that it's serious and that it would have like far reaching consequences. And in the very same breath, they are saying, and yet I'm going to reduce my total expenditures on all of that stuff because I don't think you're going to fix it. And it's not a one-to-one -one pay money and get a benefit. I think fear is done. I don't think that we need to be out there trying to scare anybody into a cybersecurity decision anymore. It needs to become a matter of fact that moves into solutions, that actually takes the perspective of, look, you know about this stuff, you get it. Now, what are we going to do about it? To your point, Carl, how can we prioritize in tactical ways? I got 27 problems. I cannot afford to solve them all. Which are the first two? When do we do it? Who's responsible? And then what's next? Let's just stop trying to freak people out. If you look, Carl, you see all the messaging out there at the events and in the industry. 99% of the advertising, the marketing, and the sales tools from the cybersecurity industry are about the sky falling. They heard us, and they're still right. not spending money. Well, and, and so 
I was at a conference, I won't say which one recently, but you know, last week. And um, there was actually a sales presentation that uh, I think I described it to Dave as the worst sales presentation I've ever seen in my life. In the five point process, the middle point, number three was increase buyer anxiety as much as possible. I'm like, what the hell? I don't want to be the person who has to go in and deliver the services that you've sold uh, under fear. But I I think you're right. I I think, of course, Ryan, everyone will ignore you, just so you know. But but you're correct that fear has been used for too long, and it it is clearly not. Look, the other thing I'm I'm also gonna gonna observe and is the less is more in in security. And in fact, one one of the things that, that you need to be that I think is a valuable service is approaching customers about having the least attack surface. And also that means the least systems, like the least stuff that is going to get you in trouble. And I think that oftentimes there's a there's an inclination to sell more, right? To sell more solutions, more products, more technology. And in the world of security, less can be more. And I think that that gets a little bit overlooked. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out, like, that's a thing. You need to, you definitely want to be focused there. Less is more. What? Dave, every VP of sales, every VP of sales in the cybersecurity industry is coming. Yeah, for bring it. Head. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like those guys anyway. <laughs> so, but I'm going to move us on to topic three, and I'm going to take a little bit of a tour into somewhat of a less tech-focused uh, topic, but I think it's important because it's the landscape our customers are dealing with and that we're dealing with. According to a new study coming out of the Harvard Business Review, rude behavior is on the rise. They surveyed 2,000 people and customers across more than 25 industries globally, and 73% said it was not unusual for customers to behave badly, up from 61% in 2012. In this year's survey, 66% of respondents said bad customer behavior toward other customers is more common than it was five years ago. Uh, And in 2012, just under half of respondents said this. And one of these examples was just as straightforward as, after a retail worker said good morning to a customer, they replied, I do not need you for anything. Leave me alone. If I need you, I will call you. You are here to serve, not to talk with me. I, and I, felt, I wanted to, to sort of throw out for a little bit of a discussion, uh, what's your take on this and, and how do we lower the temperature? Well, I'll just point out one of the absolutely unbreakable rules of service delivery is we only do business with people we like. Uh, and, you know, if, if you're in a consumer facing business, it becomes a little more difficult. Part of it is the aftermath of the political environment we're in, uh, the pandemic, the stress of the last few years and all of that. On the other hand, if you go back 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, this is a long term trend and sort of generic civility has essentially ceased to exist. So um, part of this is. In SMB, we are lucky that we get to choose our clients. Uh, very few people who listen to this podcast need 10,000 clients in order to survive, right? And so you've got a few dozen clients. You you literally get to choose people who are not rude and you get to set some guidelines, right? When, when clients are rude to my employees, they get an email and they get a one and done, like you have one strike you know, with another strike, you will be gone because 
my employees are my greatest asset. And so uh, it, it, there's also separate research that when an, an employee feels like they have been treated poorly, they are more likely to quit their job. And today you can't afford <laughs> to be replacing people simply because your clients did not treat them well. So, uh, you know, that's, it's an important lesson we all need to be, pay attention to. You're absolutely right. You begin, it, people have always wondered, what's the key to customer satisfaction? And to state it in an oversimplified but absolutely accurate way, the key to customer satisfaction is employee satisfaction. Because if the people who show up here every day to provide the services that we deliver to our customers, if they are happy, they are much more likely to treat their customers well. Therefore, the customers will be happy and everybody wins. Customer is not always right. And unfortunately, that is a hard lesson that many of us have learned. But it, making the employees feel good and want to be here every day is going to, it's a very good investment in making sure that your customers feel like they're being taken care of in every one of these difficult situations. I think the absolutely pivotal part of the study that, that we're pointing to here in the show notes is that rudeness is not an isolated thing. It is, as they've stated it, a communicable disease. In other words, you are rude to me, I turn around and I'm rude to them, somebody goes home and kicks the cat. Like that cascading effect of rude behavior is something that can only stop when somebody says voluntarily, I choose not to participate in that and I will treat other people better. This is not just the science of touchy-feely. This is not just like the kumbaya moment of, hey, if everybody could just be nice out there, then the world would be a better place. I'm going to put this in starkly financial terms. When you are rude and dismissive to your employees, they will be rude and dismissive to your customers. Your customers will go away and find somebody else, and you will have lower revenues and higher expenses for recruiting and onboarding and training new employees. The, the way you make the model balance in your favor is be nice, right? Like, again, I can't, I can't just keep saying that in, in such a simple way. It has to be tactical. We have to start someplace. Other people are going to be rude to you. Your question is, how are you going to treat the people in your world? And Ryan's right on a, at a high micro level, and I'm going to make it very tactical. Is you can build that into your your training, your employee engagement, and you give them the tools uh, both to manage the the, the rudeness, uh, empowered to push back on it in a in a good in a positive way, and more importantly, like support them. Uh, from an engagement perspective, I, I focus a lot personally on the idea of the, the really the only thing I get to control is me, right? Every single day I wake up and the only thing I ultimately get to control is me and how I feel. Uh, I know I have some bad days. I know I have little rants. I know I can get a little, uh, I got a little buttons, right? And, I, and I'm aware of those. And I try and make sure that I am balanced on those, knowing the things that I choose how I respond. Uh, often and, and you know I can get into those spots where I might get be pushing back too hard and I know I need to, to manage that and teaching your people and giving them the time and safety to do that is a good investment in them individually which pushes to what Ryan was talking about is that then it drives better economic output for you as well as well as as Carl said drawing the lines and making sure there aren't lines that you'll you and your org will cross and I would also remind people that 
you you don't just train your employees you train your clients right i mean if you think about you can't give good customer service without the client doing their part right so so that means when we onboard clients one of the things we like to say is hey we enjoy creating an environment where people like to work with each other and treat each other with respect and da 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 da, da right we expect this from you and that's a very reasonable thing to say to a client and I know some people say, oh, no, no, you you always have to say yes to the client and the client's always right. But of course, the client's almost never right or they wouldn't need you. Right. That's what consultants are for. So, um, you know, but even recently I was boarding an airplane and the captain came on and said, hey, just a note to everybody. Let's all make an extra effort to be nice to each other today. I'm like, okay. So there might be some history of, you know, stuff going on in, in the airline industry, but that's representative of stuff that's going on in the entire society. And so having the occasional note to our clients to say, hey, you know what, let's just be nice to each other today. That goes a long ways, as, as silly as it sounds. Well, and, and we are in a world where you can predict rather confidently that we're about to have more stress in the world in general, in the working world, than we have had in the last 12 months, right? I get that we're coming out of a pandemic, but the last 12 months have been a bit of a breath of recovery where people have been coming back out into the world and we're normalizing some of that really weird and rude behavior that Carl's pointing out but we're about to have some economic difficulties, customer organizations are gonna have financial pressures and stress yields rudeness. It's just a fact of life, right? So know that this is going to be more of an issue and exactly what Carl is saying, draw a line and communicate it confidently and happily to your customers. There's a line that we won't cross and that is people who treat us like trash. Uh, I have long expressed a life philosophy. Many people say life is too short and you just can't, uh, you, you can't afford to miss out on things. I, I have the opposite philosophy. Life is far too long to work with jerks. And every single day that I got to show up and work with a customer who is a mean SOB, uh, that's a day I don't want to be there. So let's all be nice to each other and uh, we'll, we'll make more money in the process. We're running out of time on a very positive note today. <laughs> on a very positive note. So so I, I'm not going to say sadly we're out of time. From now on, I'm going to say happily we are ending on a very happy note. Happily, this you're week. done hearing from us. <laughs> you're, you're done. Yes, happily, you don't have to listen to any more of episode 191 of The Killing It podcast. Thanks for tuning in to The Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.